You're listening to Hashtag No Filter with Zach Peter. We've reached our final episode of the year. And as we count down to the end of 2016, I'm here to tell you that 2017 is our year to get our shit together. This is our year to take a good, hard look in the mirror and say, it's time. Because it is. And it's a lot easier than you think. And if you don't believe me, then you have to believe my guest because she wrote the book on it. Literally, it's called Get Your Shit Together, and it's on sale right now, so you better go grab a copy. Please welcome Sarah Knight. Hey, Zach. Thanks so much for having me on. Thank you so much for calling in. You're, like, in another country right now. I am. I am I am on a tropical island, as a matter of fact. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much for calling in, Sarah. I have been a big fan since your first book, um, The Life-Changing Magic of Not Giving a Fuck. And I read it on a plane earlier this year, loved it. And then when I found out you were coming out with this book, I literally lost it and was dying to have you on the show. Oh, wow. I'm so honored to be your airplane reading. (laughs) Yes, I'm so excited to have you on. So what, talk me through what, um, what got you motivated to write this book? Sure. So, uh, well, as you know, my first book, The Life-Changing Magic of Not Giving a Fuck, was about mental decluttering. And it was largely about discarding. So if there's kind of two steps toward decluttering your physical space or decluttering your mind, which is my deal, um, one is discarding and the other is organizing. So in The Life-Changing Magic of Not Giving a Fuck, it was all about, you know, getting rid of all these fucks that you don't need to give um, in the form of your time, energy, and money. So get your shit together is more concerned with the second part of mental decluttering, which is organizing, organizing Mm -hmm. the time, energy, and money you have left um, to spend it wisely and efficiently on all of the fucks that you really want to give and some of the ones that you just need to give uh, because there's no way around it, which is something that I, I totally acknowledge. You know, you do have to show up for work because you do have to make a paycheck because you do have to pay your rent, etc. So some of those things are just fucks that you kind of have to give and having your shit together helps you do it in a much more efficient and productive way. Yes. Now, talk me through... What, because you had your own kind of life transition where you, you had a big corporate level job and you were, I mean, on paper you had, you had it together, but you weren't fulfilled. So talk me through that transition and what made you leave your job to then get into freelancing, which then turned into your book deals. Exactly. So, uh, I was a New York city book editor. I did that for 15 years. Uh, it was the first industry that I wanted to be in when I graduated from college in 2000, and I moved to New York. Um, and after, you know, a couple of a couple of false starts, one at an internet uh, comedy website and uh, internet website. That's that's the old person in me talking. Um, <laughs> and one at um, a bookstore and one at a literary agency. I got into finally cracked the code and got into uh, editorial at a major publishing house. And I did that for 15 years and I did have a lot of success at a lot of bestsellers and things were good in the sense that my ambition was being rewarded. Uh, but I really wasn't happy. And so there was this struggle that went on inside for probably a little bit over a year, um, of me just thinking like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to get up and take the subway and go to this place and go to these meetings and have these conference calls and have these be the the people that I 
interact with every single day, right. uh, you know, there's got to be something else out there. And it took me a little a little while to become okay with the idea of being a quitter, uh, which was something I had never contemplated before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but when I decided to do it, uh, it opened up this huge amount of time and energy that I just had been spending on all of the wrong things. And when I left that job, I had so much more creative energy. I was able to get up when I wanted, go to bed when I wanted, go out when I wanted, stay in when I wanted, do my work in the hours of the day where I was feeling the most productive and energetic. Um, and, you know, and say, fuck it, if I really didn't feel like doing anything. And so that's, you know, the glory of freelancing. But what really sort of jumped out to me was, wow, I've always had this creative ambition and I haven't been able to act on it because I've been too busy giving too many fucks to too many things that, you know, I don't care about. And I had the idea for my first book and it just, it was like a light bulb moment. So I wrote it really quickly and it came out and it was kind of a sensation. It was a global bestseller. Um, It's still selling as much today as it was 12 months ago, which is unreal. And that was when I realized I think I have something else to share with people because as liberating as the message of not giving a fuck was the message of get your shit together is really weaponizing. It's like, okay, I stopped giving a fuck. Here's how I made it all happen. So here's how I saved up the money to quit my big corporate job. Here's how I managed to move to a foreign country and fulfill my dream of living on a tropical Island instead of the winter hellscape of New York city, (laughs) you know, Here's how it all works. And that's really the message of get your shit together. And I love how easily everything's kind of broken down. Like you really kind of break it down in a way that makes it easy to digest to the point where it doesn't feel overwhelming. Because like when you look at things like managing my finances and finding my career path and is this the relationship for me or not? And and how do I figure this part of my life out? And how do I look at the big picture? And you're like everything, and this is a concept that I love, is that everything can be broken down into small, manageable, easy to digest chunks. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing is that what I'm trying to say with this book is it's not as hard as you think it is, you know, big change, small change, you know, whether it's just, it's getting a new job or it's moving halfway across the world or it's getting into or out of a relationship. The book covers a, a huge array of categories and the reason that it can do that. And it's a pretty I mean, it's, you know, it's a, it's a nice, uh, hefty little volume, but it is a small book. And the reason it can contain all of that is because it's, it's all the same strategy to approach all of those things. It's taking a giant unwieldy task and breaking it down into 10 smaller tasks so that you can do one and feel really accomplished and cross it off your list and then do another one. And then suddenly you're living on a tropical island and you're like, oh, wow. That seemed really just overwhelming <laughs> when I thought about that a year and a half ago. And here I am. Right. So what's the, what's the one biggest takeaway you want people to leave after reading this book? I think it's really important to set goals. Okay. You know, there are a lot of what I would call inspirational or motivational speakers or writers or gurus out there who sort of have this message that, you know, see it and be it and just manifest the positive energy and, you know, (laughs) and like, yeah, just walk into your boss's office and say, I quit and then run off into the, into the sunset, into your life. Everything's going to be daisies and roses. (laughs) That's not how it works. You have to set goals. That's, you know, look, whatever works for you is fine. But my message is set a goal and then 
go after achieving it in small, manageable chunks. I really think that goal setting is the biggest takeaway from this book. And I also love that you kind of break everybody down into the three chipmunks. (laughs) <laughs> which is kind of my favorite because I read the I was reading through the chipmunks and the first one I was like okay I'm not really an Alvin maybe a little bit okay I'm not really a Theodore maybe a little bit and then I got to Simon and I was like holy shit that's me yeah. I was like that is totally me perfection is complex like uh, like overwhelmed and like just that's totally me yeah and I mean and it's me too as you know from reading right. the book um, and just for the, the people who are listening, the background on that is that I was trying to explain to people that, you know, there really aren't that many different kinds of people in the world. We all right. fall into these sort of general categories and archetypes. And so one particularly representative, uh, culturally recognizable archetype are Alvin and the Chipmunks. You know, they're three brothers. They each have pretty distinct personalities and they're all along the spectrum of having and not having their shit together. And when, if you know the characters, you know that Theodore is kind of way on one end of just being, you know, a total flake and, you know, nice kid, but like just doesn't have it together. Alvin's kind of in the middle and Simon is the one who really seems to have everything together. But the secret, um, certainly for me, and I think for a lot of people who will get a lot out of my book, is that just because you look like you're juggling a lot of balls and you're keeping them all in the air and, you know, that you know, if you want a job done right, give it to Sarah slash give it to Simon, give it to Zach. You know, that doesn't mean that you have your shit together because the other parts, the anxiety and the panic and, you know, fear of failure and all of these things that are, that could be going on underneath the surface for somebody who outwardly seems to have their shit together. That's what I call the deep shit. And so the book is broken up into these categories that loosely follow the Theodores, Alvins and Simons of the world from the small shit to the tough shit, to the deep shit. So there's really a little bit of something for everybody, but I like to tell people that they have to read the whole book because there are jokes that go all the way through and you won't get them if you don't read the whole book. Exactly. And I love that you even, it's not even just like a, a, a and you don't call it like a self-help book. You, what, no. what, what You call it the self to help yourself help book? I call it a, a let me help you help yourself help Yes. Book. And, and that's what I love. And there even you even share in the book towards the end, you know, how you went through your own kind of personal thing, you know, being a Simon, dealing with the perfectionist complex and then, you know, having your own personal struggle and having to come out of that. And it didn't really you didn't really recognize it until it manifested itself in a physical way before you were able to say, oh, wow, I really need to kind of get things on track. Yeah, and I've had a couple of those episodes in my life and, you know, have written about them widely in other places. But this book was the first time that I told a story about a really difficult period in my life where I had I suffered really badly from eating disorders. And, you know, it was the the latent Simon in me. You know, we're talking a young, young teenager age, about maybe 12 to 16 or 17, that this was a problem for me. And it was the kind of thing where I was doing everything else perfectly in my life. I was, you know, getting the straight A's and, you know, being the president of the student body and, you know, working an after school and summer job and kind of holding it all together. But there was this other part of me that was really falling apart. And one of the reasons that I want to tell that story in the middle of a book that is, you know, full of profanity and jokes and pop culture references and kind of, you know, might look on the surface to be a little bit light is that I want people to understand that the 
the advice that I'm offering and the way that you can pull yourself up out of what I call, you know, your own personal rut, whatever shape that rut may take, um, is really applicable on a, on a grand scale. And that just because I'm sitting here from my, you know, hammock under my palm tree with my, with my bestseller and my like, Hey, you know, (laughs) I left New York city and made it or whatever. doesn't mean that I haven't had these other kinds of struggles that maybe you didn't see. And everybody has a struggle. And some of it is not being able to keep your fucking inbox, you know, on point. And I and know. I realized that last night struggle. reading the book that I was like, oh, my God, I need to get my inbox together. And then I'm like, oh, my God, that's the Simon in me trying to find something else that I probably should need to kind of do that really right. isn't a priority at the moment because I don't really have an issue with my inbox. But I, I should probably do that first thing in the morning right when I wake up and I'll put it on my to-do list. Yes, and sometimes Simon just needs to go get a <laughs> prescription for a little mood relaxer and, you know, take a little vacation. And calm the fuck down. Exactly. Okay, so I want to I want to do a little segment called Help Me Get My Shit Together. And so I've asked a couple of um, listeners and people that I know personally to send in some questions. I've sifted through them. Um, and I have them here that I'm hoping you can help me give them some tips and advice on to help them get their shit together. Sure. Okay. First one comes from me and this is a real one. I, Cause I mean, I literally just spent $89 on coffee. It's a long story. <laughs> it's actually not that long. It's just like an embarrassingly painful story that I will never do that yeah. again. But basically I blow my money faster than I see it coming in. Do you have any advice for me, Sarah? I do. So first of all, it's really easy to get into that hole and, uh, and it's not so easy to get out. So my suggestion is always not to get in the hole to begin with. Okay. Uh, and the same, uh, advice that I would give to somebody who is always trying to lose weight. I say the easiest unpublished diet book on the market is only two pages long. Eat less, move more. That's how you lose weight. Okay. So if you want to save money, it's spend less, save more. Okay. And you have to figure out whether you're the kind of person who can rein in their spending or whether you're somebody who needs the motivation of putting aside a little bit and watching it grow. And all of the goal setting that I talk about in the book starts with motivation and what motivates you. Is it because you want to achieve or acquire something or is it because you don't want to be uh, you know, in the red before you get paid every two weeks. And so you have to sort of figure out what motivates you. So depending on what that answer is for you, um, I tend to be motivated by what I call the power of negative thinking. It would really piss me off if I spent $89 on coffee. Oh, (laughs) trust me, I was pissed. I did not see that. I I did not expect an $89 bill for coffee. And I would say, I'm never going to let that happen again. Like, that's fucking ridiculous. And that's how I would, you know, approach the problem. And I would say, how did this happen? You know, let's, I I don't know exactly how it happened for you, but let's make sure that that never happens again. However, that is a single situation. You know, we've all been in that situation where it can't be avoided. Um, What I talk about in the book, uh, really at length, for anybody who's interested in this financial advice, is really how to rein in uh, your idea of your daily spending and where your money goes breaking it down into small manageable chunks and not saying, wow, at the end of the month, I seem to be $200 behind, but really, okay, what is that per week? What is that per day? And then, and when I do it in the book, I give it the example of $100 a month, which comes out to $3.57 a day. Then I say, okay, every single day when you're about to click 
you know, one, one click buy on something or, you know, order a gift for somebody or chip in for this or that, you know, with a group of friends or have an extra drink at dinner. Think to yourself in increments of that $3.57 and think, is this worth it? Do I need this thing? Right. And more often than not, the answer is no. So this is a way that I think it's easier to break it down into small manageable chunks because finances are so vast and, uh, you know, a lot of times people are just like, oh, I can't deal with it. I'll just pay for that and I'll think about it later. I'll deal with the consequences later. If you can imagine the consequences as really manageable in the moment, it's a lot easier to say yes or no to things. Yeah, and to probably check the price of things before you get to the checkout. Yeah, you should do that. <laughs> okay, next question comes from D. D says, okay. I've been with my boyfriend now for four years. Things are in an okay place, but he doesn't seem to be as motivated as me. Career-wise, life-wise, any way I can help motivate him to get his shit together? Well, D, have I got a book for you. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the thing, and it ties in a little bit to the power of negative thinking, but I realized at, I think, um, an, an earlier age than a lot of people, but many, many, many years after I wish I had realized it, that it was more important to be happy than anything else. It was more important to be happy than to be successful on paper. It was more important to be happy than to be wealthy, um, you know, depending on what that means to you guys. Mm -hmm. um, so what I would say is, does does D's boyfriend want to get his shit together? Because it doesn't happen unless you want it. Right. If you are perfectly fine and content and happy with having a job that other people don't think is ambitious enough, or if you're perfectly content with, you know, having a lifestyle that other people might not think is as rewarding or fun or glamorous as they would want it to be, then then you just keep doing what you're doing. So the question really is whether D and uh, D's boyfriend, I don't know if D is a him or her, so I don't, um, are on the same page. And, you know, if, if the boyfriend wants help, then as I said, you look toward the motivation. Does, are you motivated by fear of failure? Are you motivated by money? Are you motivated by, you know, uh, vanity? Are you motivated by, um, you know, the adulation of your friends? There's all kinds of ways to start with where, what motivates you. But if, but if D, if D's boyfriend is happy already, maybe it's, maybe it's D, D that, needs, that needs to is, think about, uh, you know, yeah would be happier with somebody whose ambition more closely matched his or her own. Yeah. I don't think, yeah, like you said, you can't change anybody unless they're willing to, ch they, they're willing and wanting to change. Yeah. And if they're happy, leave them alone. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, my brother and I uh, have extremely different values for what makes a good life for the two of us. You know, I would not be happy um, living life the way he does and he would not be happy living it the way I do. So, <laughs> I love that. It's so typical sibling relationship, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Next question comes from Ray. I'm not sure what I want my career path to even be. Any tips on how to figure that out? That's a good one. Before you well, even know what you have to get together, you have to know what you want, right? Exactly. You have to know what you want and what's, what's interesting to you. And you have to accept the fact that that may change. Yeah. So, you know, I spent a great deal of time, uh, 
you know, pursuing my career in publishing. It was the thing that I knew I wanted to do when I graduated from college. It was what I had been working toward when I had been writing for student publications and when I had been writing research papers and all the time that I'd been reading, you know, gobbling up novels and memoirs and biographies. Like this was toward this career that I thought I wanted to have. And then I changed course and that was okay. So I think you have to be really open to, Mm you know, the things that interest you. Also, if you're me, you're a little bit practical and you're like, okay, this is a thing that interests me and it is possible for me to get into this career living in this town that I live in or this city that I live in. You know, it wouldn't have been practical really for me to try to work at a high level in book publishing without living in New York City. And that was one of the reasons why it took me a while to understand that my unhappiness that was related to my career and my lifestyle meant that I was going to have to not only, you know, that I, that if I wanted to stay working in publishing, I would have to stay living in New York city and I didn't want to live in New York city anymore. And that affected being able to work in publishing. Um, certainly there are a few places around the country that you can work in publishing, but not at, you know, not at one of the, the top five publishers. So I would say that, you know, don't just think about what you want your career to be, but what you want your life to be, yeah. where you want your life to be, what kind of place you want to be living in, the kinds of people that you want to be associating with. You know, is this an eight hour a day job? Is it an 18 hour a day job? Is it, are you going to be working nights and weekends? You know, are you going to be, you have to go to school for two, four or eight years in order to get into this career that you want and really think about sort of the consequences of, of those choices. and. Right on the whole, what you want your life to be like, not just the career path that you want to be in. Or that you should be in. I think that was the biggest kind of emancipation for me, like especially early on in, you know, that 18 to early 20s transition of teen to adulthood. That was Mm -hmm. like big for me because I was like, okay, I'm, you know, I'm in school and I'm studying this and I'm supposed to be doing this and I'm supposed to be working toward this. And And then I kind of just stopped and I'm like, but I'm doing this all, why? Because this is what I'm supposed to do. This is the path that I'm supposed to take. This is what, you know, looks good on paper. And then I was like, you know what? That's never been me to, to try and meet other people's expectations or to not do something so that other people, you know to avoid other people from being disappointed in me, I was like, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to pursue my own passions and I don't care how I'm going to get there, but I'm going to make it work. I'm going to figure it out and, and I'm going to pull it together. And well, that was and the so you figured thing. it out a lot sooner than I did. So congrats on that. <laughs> and I want other people to do that too. Cause I look at so many people that are so unhappy with their lives, with what they're doing, with their current state of being. And I'm just like, but that's a choice that you're making and you can also make the same exact choice in the opposite direction. And I love your concept of the power of negative thinking and how you use the things that upset you to motivate you to change. Cause I definitely use that a lot. Um, especially in my teenage years that I didn't really recognize. And now that mm-hmm. I see it, I'm like, okay, that really is an effective tactic. Yes. Yeah. And I think that people, as I said, you know, there's this there's a, a big business full of really inspirational, um, you know, self-help advisors who kind of want you to shoot for the stars. And I'm like, how about just look in the mirror right now and go, this is unacceptable. 
Right. <laughs> this, yeah. You know, whether not, and when I say look in the mirror, I don't mean necessarily physically, but just this life that I'm living, this way that I'm feeling, this person I'm waking up next to in the morning, or you know, these pants that don't fit, or you know, this hair color that was a huge mistake, whatever it is. Really focus on what's bad about now and eradicating it instead of kind of vaguely fantasizing about a future you that doesn't exist. Right. You know, and again, if it works, if that way of doing things works for somebody, then fine. But it's not what worked for me, and I'm doing pretty well. So, yeah. you know, people could stand to take a few pages no, of advice. Absolutely. And, and the whole concept of looking at yourself in the mirror – I had that moment, I guess, over the past couple of months where I was like, am I really happy with what I'm doing? Am I really happy with the career path that I've chose? Like something just didn't feel right. Something was off. And I was like, maybe I just need a big life change. And then when I kind of broke it down and looked at it piece by piece, I'm like, okay, I I love what I'm doing. I'm happy doing what I do every day. It's not big picture or, you know, the the larger scale that I'm unhappy with. It's more of like these little things that if I just tidy up my mind, if I just, you know, get my shit together, then right. those things aren't so much of a burden. And I realize that I'm a lot happier than, you know, than not. Exactly, exactly. And that's, I mean, that that sort of feeds right into the subtitle of the book, which is, how to stop worrying about what you should do so you can finish what you need to do and start doing what you want to do. Yes. Okay. (laughs) Last question comes from Shauna and Shauna says, I lead my own team and have a growing list of things I need to get done on the daily. My to-do list is endless. My assistant isn't very helpful with prioritizing my tasks and my inbox is constantly overflowing. So any help you can offer would be great. Thanks. Okay, well, Shauna needs a workshop because that's a lot of problems all in one. Uh, but as as I have mentioned, the secret to all of the advice and get your shit together is that it's all the same advice. So it's three steps. It's strategize, focus, and commit. Uh, for example, you know, she says her to-do list is endless and that her assistant isn't very helpful with prioritizing. Well, I have a whole big section in the book about to-do lists and prioritizing, and the magic in prioritizing is that half of it is procrastinating. <laughs> so what I do is I say, okay, if I just kept a list of every single thing I have to do in a day or a week or a month, of course it would be overwhelming. I would glance at it and I'd go, uh, no, it's too much. I don't know where to start. You know, And right. that's a lot of the Theodores of the world, uh, the Theodore chipmunks of the world really have no idea where to start. So I say, turn your to-do list into a must-do list. And the way you do that is you prioritize based on urgency. A lot of people prioritize based on what they perceive as like bigger or more important tasks. And they do a bunch of little things because they don't want to deal with the big one. But if you don't do the thing that's due today, then it is going to be late. And it's going to be delayed and it's going to cause you more anxiety Anxiety. and other things are going to build up on your list and then other things are going to be late. So I say do what needs doing today, whether it's a big thing or four small things or two big things or whatever it is, prioritize based on timeline and urgency and take that big list that you have and knock it down to the must do's and just do those things. And, you know, the good part is that you're then effectively procrastinating the stuff that's due tomorrow. (laughs) And so that's kind of nice when you get to just like not deal with stuff, but you're not dealing with it in a responsible way. Exactly. So 
I would say to Shauna, you know, if the to-do list seems overwhelming, look at it and turn it into a must-do list. And that really, that will usually knock 50 to 75% of things off of your list in any given day if you just focus on what you have to do today. I would say maybe give your assistant a, a, you know, a talking to and perhaps find a new assistant because yeah. that is literally the definition of assistant is right. to help you prioritize your Right, time. not to be another thing on the to-do list to prioritize. Yeah. And then in terms of the email inbox, uh, I also offer a lot of advice about this in the book. And I actually helped a producer get her inbox from 90,000 messages down to 45,000 messages just in the span of an afternoon. Wow. So I almost had, like, I had broke out in hives when I found out that she had 90,000 messages. And the fact that we were able to cut that down by 50%, you know, a normal person whose inbox is overflowing and has like, I don't know, 500. I don't, I don't keep that many emails in my inbox, but I wrote the book. So, you know, (laughs) (laughs) um, but you know, I just, I couldn't even believe it. But then I said, okay. And I asked her a few simple questions about what she needed to have access to at any given time and what things she was holding on to that she didn't need anymore or that if she needed them, it would just be a simple matter of running a search. And we just, we archived a bunch of stuff and then she got into the swing of it. And in probably, 20 minutes, we had knocked out 15,000 emails. And then by the time I went and took the subway home, because this was when I was still living in New York, uh, by the time I got back to my email, she had emailed me and given me an update and had got her way down, you know, halfway through the inbox. So just from very simple questions um, that I had asked her, and she was able to cut it in half. So you don't, you don't have to have an overflowing inbox. This is not this is not an uns- an insurmountable problem. Uh, a lot of people seem to blame their inability to get shit done on the fact that they get too much email. It's not a too much email problem. It's a time management problem, and you can fix that. Absolutely, and it's by prioritizing your to-do list and putting together your must-do list. Trust me, I... I have so many lists right now. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) But they're like organized and I've finally been able to to prioritize and and I feel like I'm starting to really get my shit together. Fantastic. That's what I like to hear. Awesome. Thank you so much, Sarah, for calling in and for chatting with me and answering questions from listeners. What are your social media handles so people can go and follow you? You can find me on social media on Twitter, Instagram, and on Medium at MC Snugs. That's M C S N U G Z, and that is an inside joke. And uh, I don't, I don't talk about the origin of MC Snugs, but that's how people started started finding me, and so that is how we kept it. <laughs> I love that. Oh my god, I love that. Everybody needs to go and get a copy of Sarah's new book, Get Your Shit Together. It is on sale right now. Um, And don't forget to follow Sarah on social media because she's got a lot of tweets to throw your way that you're going to want to pay attention to this year. I will probably at some point in time talk about my $89 coffee because that's just too, (laughs) too hard to pass up. But we're out of time today. But don't forget to listen to Hashtag No Filter every Wednesday on iTunes. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. If you don't have an iPhone, you can listen on Stitcher or always online at thenetworkstudios.com. Don't forget to follow me at Just Plain Zach across all social media platforms. Tweet me your questions. Put them on my Facebook wall, and we will cover them on a future show. I gotta go. 
because I have a New Year's... I have chain smokers to go see and a New Year's Eve party to go have some fun at. So I'll see you in 2017. Bye.